Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. A very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. My goodness. We have a lot to get into tonight for the next two hours. We got high school football. We got college football. And, of course, we have the National Football League. Let me set the scene for you. Earlier today, in the state of Texas, the Florida Gators received a commitment from five-star quarterback DJ Lagway, Willis High School, out in the state of Texas. We will go to the Lone Star State coming up in less than 15 minutes and talk with Trent Miller, who is the head coach of Willis High School, the head coach for DJ Lagway out there at Willis High School. So we'll talk with Coach Trent Miller about DJ and about what Florida is getting with one of the best quarterback prospects in the nation for the class of 2024. So head coach Trent Miller of Willis High School, he's coming up in less than 15 minutes. In about a half an hour or so, Ryan Roberts, Rise and Draft. That's the letter N, riseanddraft.com. Ryan's one of my favorites. When it comes to talking draft, we're not really talking draft tonight, though. Kind of. I wanted Ryan on to talk Anthony Richardson. And now that he's officially entered the draft process, what the thought is about Anthony Richardson moving in to draft season. But Ryan also covered all these young Jaguars, right? From Chad Muma to Devin Lloyd, Trayvon Walker, Travis Etienne, obviously Trevor Lawrence. I want to talk about all these guys. Get Ryan's thoughts. A guy that does draft stuff for a living. That's what the guy does 365 days of the year. Just kind of get his thoughts on where these young Jaguars are now, either one or two years in to their career. Also, obviously, Anthony Richardson as well. In the 9 o'clock hour, we will go to the state of Colorado, you say. Why are we going to Colorado? Well, let me tell you why we're going to Colorado. We're going to talk with the play-by-play voice of the Colorado Buffaloes, Mark Johnson, about Deion Sanders, Coach Prime in the Pac-12, out in Boulder with the Buffaloes. Mark Johnson's been the play-by-play voice of Colorado for almost two decades. What has it been for the last 48 to 72 hours since Deion Sanders was named the head coach of Colorado? We'll talk with the radio voice of the Buffaloes, Mark Johnson, coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, and then finally at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, we'll go to Nashville. Blaine Bishop, a four-time pro bowler for the Tennessee Titans at safety. You now hear him on 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. We'll get the Titans side of this Titans-Jaguars matchup on Sunday. Of course, a game you'll hear right here on 1010XL. So we got a lot of good stuff tonight. We got a lot to do, Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us on a Wednesday night edition, as we do every night. Here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Oh, yeah. There are a couple of big deals tonight. We got double big deals. Two for the price of one. 
uh, in the NFL and in college. Let's begin in the NFL. Trevor Lawrence did not practice today. Trevor Lawrence has a toe injury based on that hit on Sunday in Detroit. Uh, Doug Peterson said Trevor took mental reps today, but he is on the injury report as it did not practice. Here is the question surrounding Trevor Lawrence this week. You're four and eight. You're not going to the playoffs. If Trevor Lawrence is not 100%, and I do mean 100%, in no way would I put him out there against Tennessee. What do you have to gain by putting a 90% Trevor Lawrence out there just by the sheer fact that something may aggravate that injury even further? I don't see the point in it. Now, if you're eight and four, or even if you're six and six and battling for the division, well, that's different. But you're not battling for the division. You lost 40 to 14 to Detroit last week. That pretty much ended all hopes for you in the division. So Trevor Lawrence better be 100% before I have any thought of putting him out there. It's also interesting that he did not practice today, but he came back in the game on Sunday in Detroit. So he gets hurt at the end of the first half, goes into the locker room. We're fearing the worst, everybody fearing the worst. Turns out he's all right. Pulls a Willis Reed, comes walking out of the tunnel. Should have been playing the Rocky theme at the time. But Detroit, of course, goes right down and scores a touchdown because the Jaguar defense couldn't stop anything on Sunday. So they put Trevor Lawrence back out there in a 30-6 to beatdown. And what does he do? He goes 16 plays, puts him in the end zone for a touchdown, and gets the two-point conversion. But if you put him back in the game on Sunday, man, he misses practice on Wednesday, had some sort of, I won't call it a boot, do you see the picture? Was it on Instagram last night, Denmark? Yes, his wife's Instagram. Yeah, I'm sure the Jaguars love that. Last night, Trevor's wife, I guess they had a get-together, so she puts a, a family and friends photo on social media, and there's the Jaguar franchise quarterback. I bet that won't happen again. Right there, just smiling ear to ear. Unfortunately, he had some big black cast-looking thing on his foot, so that really took off on Twitter. Yeah, I would imagine there was probably a little bit of a sit-down today saying, hey, uh, Trevor, next time you have a get-together like that, let us at least have a press conference to say that you're not going to practice, that you're wearing this big black cast-looking thing on your foot. He did not have it on today during his press conference. This was a photo taken, I guess, last night. Said it was feeling better today and good. Uh, that's good. And by the way, even if it is turf toe or whatever – toe injury it is that is night and day better than what it could have been night and day I was thinking he snapped an ankle he tore every ligament in his knee it could have been so much worse but if it costs him Sunday it costs him Sunday you need to make sure that guy is a thousand percent before you put him back out there you go to play the Titans on Sunday like I said we'll go to Nashville We'll talk with Blaine Bishop, a four-time Pro Bowler for the Tennessee Titans. How's this if you're Tennessee? They're three games up in the division. They're going to win the division probably in the next week and a half. And they fire their general manager. 
a three-game lead in the division. They're going to be champions of the AFC South. They're going to have a home playoff game, at least one. And they fire their general manager. Meanwhile, here in Jacksonville, we kept Dave Caldwell for seven and a half years. That's absolutely amazing if you think about it. Amazing. Now, I don't know the inner workings up there. I know people are upset about the A.J. Brown trade. They think John Robinson's done a couple of bad things as of late. How bad could he be? They're in first place in the division. They're 7-5. and five. They're going to be division champions. And you fire the GM with five games to go? Hmm. Interesting. That doesn't happen here in Jacksonville. A lot of loyalty here in Jacksonville, probably to a flaw. So we'll see if Trevor plays. I'm sure we'll get more information tomorrow. It'll be very interesting. If he doesn't practice on Wednesday, which he didn't, and if he doesn't practice again tomorrow, I don't know if you're going to see him on Sunday. If he doesn't practice tomorrow, I wouldn't play him on Sunday. No question about that. So that's the Jaguar side of the big deal of the night. More on that in just a little bit. To the Florida Gators side. Today was a big day. Think about what Billy Napier has done to that quarterback room in the last month, month and a half. You get a four-star, Jaden Rashada, considered a, a top 10 quarterback in the 2023 class from the state of California. Flips from Miami to Florida. And now today, the class of 2024, the number two ranked quarterback on some boards, the number one ranked dual threat quarterback on some boards, but every board that I saw, every one of them, has him as a top five quarterback in the class of 2024, DJ Lagway. That's impressive for Billy Napier. You get a stud quarterback in the 2023 class, you follow that up with a stud quarterback in the 2024 class. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, Kirby Smart, Georgia, Nick Saban, Alabama. That's what they do. They get a four-star quarterback followed by a four- or five-star quarterback followed by another four-star quarterback, and that's exactly what Billy Napier has done with Jaden Rashada in the class of 2023, DJ Lagway now in the class of 2024. Lagway went on social media within the last hour and said he's fired up to be a Gator who wants to join him, and that's what quarterbacks do, man. Quarterbacks put recruiting classes together. You start with a guy like Lagway, a top five quarterback nationally, people are going to want to play. Florida beat out Lincoln Riley for him at Southern Cal. Clemson was in the mix there. Oklahoma, Texas A&M were in the mix there. He's from the state of Texas. Billy Napier goes out there and gets him. That's big. That's big from a PR standpoint. That's big from a perception standpoint. That's just a big, big deal today for the Florida Gators. And we'll see how they close out the 2023 class. Keep in mind, early signing period in December is like a week and a half away. And then, of course, 2024, now DJ Lagway, the star of that class. Let's go to the state of Texas. DJ Lagway's high school football head coach out of Willis High School is Trent Miller. Coach Miller is going to join us here on Hacker After Dark. What did the Gators get today? What type of player is DJ Lagway? What were Coach Miller's impressions of Billy Napier during the recruiting process? 
We'll talk with Trent Miller, the head coach of DJ Lagway at Willis High School, next here on Hacker After Dark. 1,786 yards and 17 touchdowns. This 1010XL 92.5 FM hour is powered by Anajar and Levine Accident Attorneys. Call 1-800-747-3. That's 1-800-747-3733. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Wednesday night, Jacksonville, Florida. We're glad you're with us. 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Earlier today in the state of Texas, one of the top quarterbacks in the country for the class of 2024 made his decision. Quarterback DJ Lagway, a five-star commitment, commits to Billy Napier and the University of Florida, a huge get. For the Gators moving forward, there is no question about that. Let's go to the state of Texas, Willis High School, and their head football coach, Trent Miller, who is the coach of DJ Lagway out there at Willis. Coach, how we doing tonight? Doing good, man. Gator Nation represent. How y'all doing out there in Gainesville? Coach, we are good. There are a lot of people in the Gainesville and Jacksonville area totally fired up about your guy heading this way. All right, let me ask you. You're the perfect person to ask. What did Florida get today? What type of player is DJ Lagway? DJ Lagway is a phenomenal football player, but more importantly, he's a phenomenal young man. Um, unbelievable athlete with a unbelievable work ethic. He's probably the hardest working young man that in my in my 16 years of coaching I've ever had the pleasure to uh, to coach. And um, I've done a lot of interviews today with a lot of different you know local news radio stations stuff like that and the thing that separates dj from everybody else that 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 i've been around or that i've coached is he doesn't want to be a great player you know he doesn't want to be a special player he wants to be the best player that ever touches the field on any field that he steps foot on he wants to be the best player in college football and he wants to be a hall of fame quarterback one day in the nfl and so what you're going to get is a kid that's going to outwork anybody on that football team anybody on that roster and he's going to elevate his teammates in the process of doing that Coach, what what is his game? We see the dual threat ranking. He has a lot of these recruiting websites. Would you classify him as a classic dual threat type quarterback? I think he has the ability, no doubt, with his athleticism to be a dual threat quarterback. But the one thing DJ has always um, focused on and made a point of emphasis is his ability to throw the football inside the pocket. Hold on to the ball as long as he can without having to, you know, Stuck hit and run without having to. Um, a lot of young quarterbacks, their their initial response in the pocket when they get pressure is to drop their eyes, get downfield, and do what they can. Um, he's the exact opposite of that, which is crazy because the kid is six four, two hundred and twenty five pounds, and runs like a four five forty. Um, he doesn't like the term or the label as a dual threat quarterback because he doesn't want to get you know kind of criticized and being put in one category. But with with Billy Napier and his system and what they do. There's no doubt in my mind that he can't do everything that he asks him to do as a dual threat quarterback and excel in whatever, you know, whatever he desires to do. Trent Miller is the head coach at Willis High School in the state of Texas. He is the coach of DJ Lagway, one of the top quarterbacks in the class of 2024, who earlier this afternoon committed to Billy Napier and the University of Florida. Coach Billy Napier, I'm sure you had interactions with him. Um DJ was a priority. There is no doubt about that for what they're trying to build there at Florida. How would you assess your interaction with Billy Napier during this recruiting process? Yeah, I will tell the Gator Nation that 
that they hit a home run, slam dunk, whatever you want to call it, when they hired Billy Napier. Um, the dude is one of the most uh, down-to-earth, um, humble head football coaches that I've ever had the pleasure to sit down and visit with. Um, does things the right way. You know, he, he, he thinks before he speaks, doesn't make promises that, that he can't, that, you know, that he can't hold up on. Um, and just the, the whole family aspect and the atmosphere and the culture that he tells us he's trying to create there. And when you talk to him, you, you, you can feel it. Um, and, and I've sent other players in the past to play for Coach Napier back when he was at ULL. And so I kind of had an idea of what kind of person he was before the whole recruiting process started with DJ. Um, but throughout this whole process with DJ the last couple of months, um, and the interactions I've had with him and Coach Jaluk and uh, Coach Hamilton, all the guys on staff over there, man, it's just been a it's been a family first vibe, and we're going to do whatever we can to take care of DJ as a person in the process of getting him everything that he needs to get throughout the, you know his time at at the University of Florida. Um, like I said, I can't speak enough about the the, the character and the man um, that Coach Napier is, and DJ was my own personal kid. I would have no problem whatsoever, or no no second thoughts or or anything about you know sending my kid to go play for him the dude is he's a he's a special man and a special football coach coach to your knowledge was dj looking at florida prior to billy napier's arrival was he looking at them when dan mullen was there or was this a direct correlation billy napier arriving dj lagway beginning to look at the gators you know, I think early on, Florida was one of the first schools, I believe, in his recruiting process to extend an opportunity to him, and I believe it was when Coach Mullen was still there. Um, surprisingly enough, you know, DJ grew up a Florida Gator fan, and I think a lot of that had to do with a lot of kids DJ's, DJ's age with, you know, the, the, the whole Tim Tebow effect, you know, and wanting to be like Tim Tebow. Um, so he always had a special place in his heart for Florida. Um, but with the hiring, hiring of Coach Napier and the conversations that, that me and him have had, um, and that I've had with his dad and his family about the kind of man Coach Napier is. And of course, we all saw that when he was at Louisiana um, and what he was able to do in one in one short season, you know, at Florida with hardly any offseason. I've been to DJ, you know, that was kind of the icing on the cake to finally get to sit down and visit with him and then to get to see in person um, the kind of person that he was um, in real life. And so absolutely, Coach Napier played a tremendous part in and making his final decision and his final commitment to uh, to the University of Florida because there's a lot of good coaches in this country and there's a lot of good programs in this country and you know it all came down to what DJ felt the most comfortable with from a a coach that's going to develop him as a person and as a quarterback and um, Coach Napier and his staff I mean I mean they they hit a home run with the entire recruiting process and how they treated him and and just a little bitty things that they did to to get him to commit to him couple of more for Trent Miller, the head coach at Willis High School in the state of Texas. He is the head football coach for newest Gator commitment, DJ Lagway, for the class of 2024. Coach, the expectations now. I mean, DJ is a top five guy in the 2024 class at the quarterback position. I already saw him on social media saying he's fired up to be a Gator. Who's coming with him? So he's already started that recruiting process, as we know quarterbacks do in these situations. Do you feel DJ will welcome these expectations? It's a lot to put on the shoulders of a guy that's right now only a junior in high school. 100%, man. Like, DJ's all – he's the kind of young man that, you know, he, he wants to speak 
close to the fire. He, he's the kind of competitor that when you challenge him or you tell him, he, you know, you're not sure if he can do something or you tell him he's not capable of doing something, that elevates his game, you know, even more. I mean, he's one of the most competitive young men that, I, that like I said, I've, I've ever had the experience of working with and coaching. And um, if somebody, if, if somebody were to put out there, you know, he can't do this or he can't build a, he can't build a super class around him, and that's only going to fuel him to, to work even harder to get what he wants because he also understands that he needs to get the sporting cast around him to get everything out of the, the Florida Gator experience that, that he wants. And so there's no challenge that's too big for him. I mean, there, there's no mountain too big to climb. And um, I think now that he's, he, he, he's, he's jumped all the way in and he's fully committed to the University of Florida, um, I think more and more people from, from Gainesville will start following him and kind of seeing, you know, what kind of character he, he has on social media, what his work ethic looks like. And they're going to see him do special things as a senior in high school, man, because he gets better every single day. Does DJ have any idea how excited people around here are for this? I think he felt a lot of it when he, he – I believe – I think he came back to Gainesville twice to watch two games in the Swamp. And, man, the love that the community, that the town – that the sorority houses and the frat houses were showing him, you know, on social media. And, you know, I think when he was his last trip there, you know, he was escorted around the campus uh, in the stadium by uh, Tim Tebow. And I think the entire stadium was, you know, had their lag way to the swamp chant going. He could feel it. He could feel the, um, the support system that, that is there. And, and I'll say hats off to Gator Nation fans because without, the support and the love that they showed him while he was on those trips, um, it may have gone a different way. I, you know, I, I don't know, but he felt more love there from everybody involved in the process than anywhere else he's been in the country. And so, hats off to um, the recruiting department and whoever's running the social media out there that lets them know that big time recruits are going to be in the house. And and they showed him first class hospitality every time he was there. And um, man, he, he's excited. He's fired up. His phone died about an hour and a half ago at dinner um, <laughs> because of all of the, the love and support he was getting on social media from, from people in Gainesville, more so than people that were out here in our local hometown, which is awesome. Coach, final question for you. In your opinion, in your conversations with DJ, why now? I mean, he's got a full year before the early signing period for his class. He's got another full year of high school football for you there at Willis High School. What was it about the timing now? Was it just a situation where he knew and he wanted to get the process over with? Yeah, that had a lot to do with it. You know, again, like we talked about earlier, I mean, he's real big on um, being a part of the process of building that class around him. And, of course, you guys know we're, we're in this the, the new age of the NILs and the transfer portal where um, kids are bouncing around from, from school to school and it, it's making it difficult for high school kids to – to find a home to play at. And so he wanted to do it sooner rather than later so that if he had, you know, guys who he's been on recruiting trips with him across the country that he would like to play with to get those guys to go ahead and commit now before spots fill up and they don't have a place to go. Or you have the big time transfers that are leaving, um, you know, everywhere in the country, like the transfer portal right now is just ridiculous. Um, you know, he knows that, you know, for Florida to be able to, to commit a kid like him with his ability that that might help entice some of these younger transfer kids um, to, uh, to, to make their commitment to the university of Florida. And so, like I said, he's a team first guy. He's all about lifting everybody else up and building a team around what he can do. And so um, he wanted to get a head start on that. And, and a lot of it too, is the fact that, man, he, he's been 
he's been a highly rated and a highly, you know, recruited player for, you know, over a year now. And the process of all of the, the coaches reaching out and the, the local, the local, um, you know, news stations reaching out and just the constant question of what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? I mean, it's going to, it wears on a 17 year old kid, you know, and I think, I think once he had his mind made up, like it's okay, let's, let's get this done. Let's, let's, let's close this chapter and let's start on, you know, chapter two, which is the building process with the coaching staff there at the university of Florida. Trent Miller, the head coach of Willis high school there in the state of Texas, DJ Lagways high school. He is now a part of the Florida Gator class of 2024 after he commits earlier this afternoon. Coach, appreciate the time on short notice, brother. Thank you very much. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Go Gators. Trent Miller, there we go. And look, Gator fans, I think you got to be very, very excited by what you heard from the head football coach of DJ Lagway out there at Willis High School. He's already been on Twitter. He's already firing up other recruits. And look, you bring in Jaden Rashada, in the class of 23, you bring in DJ Lagway in the class of 24. It is going to be a uh, fun couple of weeks for the Gators, it appears. Once they get in the transfer portal, replenish the roster. They currently have a top 10 recruiting class in 2023. They're currently in the top 10 of the recruiting classes also now in 2024. We'll shift gears. We'll get into the NFL and a little bit on Anthony Richardson, his draft prospects as he is declared for the NFL draft. My friend Ryan Roberts, Rise and Draft. That's the letter N, riseanddraft.com. He's one of our draft guys here on Hacker After Dark. We'll talk a little Anthony Richardson, but more so, I want to talk about Travis Etienne, Trevor Lawrence, Chad Muma, Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd. Ryan Roberts studied these guys for years. It's what he does. What does he think now that these young guys are now in Jaguar uniforms and how they're producing either one or two years in to their NFL careers? Ryan Roberts next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The college football regular season is in the rearview mirror. The playoff has been decided and now... You begin looking ahead to the NFL draft. Of course, earlier this week, Anthony Richardson of Florida announced he is going to the NFL. With that, let me bring in my friend Ryan Roberts. He's with Rise and Draft. That's Rise, the letter N, draft.com. He's one of our draft guys here on 1010XL, and he's always kind enough to join us here in the city of Jacksonville. Ryan, it's been a while, man. How are you? Uh, everything's good, Ryan. How's everything on your end, brother? Ryan, we're good. We're good. Uh, boy, the Jaguars, uh, seven of their eight losses by 10 points or less, and then I don't know what that was in Detroit last Sunday. It wasn't good, Ryan. I know that. Yeah. Nah, man. It was, uh, it was really frustrating for me, too, man. I mean, be honest. I mean, before we even started talking here, like I, I felt like Jacksonville was starting to get in a good position you know they started out pretty good early on and they hit a little bit of a slide and then I felt like they were starting to get back on the right step and Trevor Lawrence was playing better and then it was just kind of a weird outcome I know Detroit's kind of been a you know an okay team pretty competitive team for the most part of the year but I was not anticipating that quite a performance you know it was it was unfortunate to see because I'm I really do root for the Jag- for the Jaguars a little bit, man. I mean, they have a lot of good young talents. I, I like Doug Peterson. You know, I live right outside of Philadelphia, so I'm very familiar with him. And 
I was hoping they returned a little bit of a corner, but it was a very, very odd, uh, odd game in Detroit for sure. There's no doubt about that. And look, I want to get into Anthony Richardson here with you, but while we're on the Jaguars, let's talk about some of the young guys. I mean, Lawrence clearly is coming into his own. Now the Jaguars yep. got unbelievably lucky because when he got, when he got sacked at the end of the second quarter, that looked horrible. Uh, with the, yeah. the knee and ankle getting all twisted, thankfully, my goodness, thankfully, he looks like he's going to be okay. But Trevor, 17 touchdowns, six picks. I mean, he's he's turning into a pretty good NFL quarterback. Yeah, no, and, and I, I don't think that anybody that watched Trevor in college is very surprised by that fact. You know, he was one of those players that, for, I mean, he was the highest graded quarterback still that I've ever had to this point. And I think the thing that kind of separated Trevor was, yes, he's incredibly talented. You know, he's six five with a rocket arm, really good athlete. Like he has all those tangibles, but I think it's the intangible side of him that really kind of separated him. You know, like he was, it's, he was a player for me that I, I think he could transcend a bad situation, which he was put in, in Jacksonville. I mean, cause let's be honest, you you go into that situation under urban Meyer, who doesn't even last a full year. And it's very volatile, you know, just, atmosphere around him a lot of young quarterbacks would fold and would be ruined you know and it would just completely derail their confidence but I think seeing how Trevor came into this season and seeing the progress that he has made over the last few games I think you feel really good about the future of the quarterback position and I know you know Jacksonville's coming off of a disappointing loss obviously and it's been some mixed mixed results so far this season but to have a young quarterback that is trending in the way that Trevor Lawrence is, it's a great thing to have because having a kid like that on a rookie contract is, is big time for roster construction potential. Ryan Roberts, Rise and Draft, the letter N, riseanddraft.com. Real quick, Ryan, on Travis Etienne. I don't yep. remember this. You probably do. Obviously, you scouted him a great deal when he was at Clemson. Did he have a fumbling problem in college? Because he certainly has one now. He did early in his career, yeah. I think it was over the first two or three seasons he had quite a bit of fumbles. But the last like year, year and a half, he kind of fixed those those concerns a little bit. But he's always been kind of been that kid that, you know, it's it's technical stuff, you know. Like I mean, he definitely has some extra effort as a runner, which you know is going to cause some unfortunate ball security stuff at times. But he's one of those kids that just kind of has the ball away from his frame a little bit too much. So I think it's something that you could work on. But it was definitely a concern, at least the talking point early on in his career, because he did have a little bit of a fumbleitis early on in the Clemson career. When he's not fumbling, he's playing really well. The problem <laughs> is he's not going to be labeled as a fumbler, and defenses yep. are going after that ball, and they're getting it a fair amount yep. of the time. Ryan, with uh, real quick on the Jaguars' 2022 draft, Trevon Walker, look, he's not putting up great numbers. I think he's doing some nice things, but it doesn't help when Jaguar fans see Aiden Hutchinson sack Trevor Lawrence on Sunday and get his sixth sack of the year. I mean, clearly yep. Hutchinson's having a better rookie year, but how would you assess Walker to this point? I, I think you have to understand what your expectations were from Trayvon Walker coming in. I think it was unfair for, I mean, I mean one, I mean, we, I was on the show with you before the draft even happened. I know we talked about Trayvon Walker a ton. Like Trayvon would personally have not been the first overall pick for me, but Jacksonville was banking on the traits, which is understandable in a draft last year that wasn't incredibly strong up top. So they took the gamble in traits. I think the expectations year one for Trayvon had to be that, you know, the pass rush production was going to be hit or miss. It was, you know, because he's, yes, he's incredibly long. He's explosive. He's powerful. Like he has all those traits, but there was no nuance to his game coming out of Georgia. He won 
completely off of traits, played a lot in a three-man front where he was asked to you know, just two-gap and kind of control blockers. And I think that people needed to realize that coming into his career, like there, this was going to be a little bit of a learning process from a pass rush perspective. But I think the things that you know he's going to give you is he's incredibly powerful, he's long, so he's going to be pretty solid in the run game early on. He's going to be a guy that plays with extreme effort. So as long as there's no effort issues and he has those traits, you like to think long-term he's going to figure it out because, again, that nuance kind of comes to you, especially with such a young player usually. So as long as there's good coaching around him, I think for me it was always the long-term is going to outweigh the short-term with Trayvon Walker. I was not expecting him to be rookie of the year, right? Like I'm expecting him that in his second, third, fourth season, when he's getting ready for the second contract, like that's when he needs to be at his best. I don't ever think that he's going to be a high-volume sack guy but he can be a really disruptive defensive end if he's developed properly and if he has moves to the repertoire. At least Walker is still on the field a majority of the time. Their second first-round pick, Devin Lloyd. This is a head-scratcher, Ryan, because at the beginning of the year, I mean, he was awesome in the first month. Mm -hmm. We were talking defensive rookie of the year, perhaps, and I'm not sure what's happened, uh, but my goodness. They're using all kinds of different logic and telling us, you know, well, we got a nice rotation at linebacker and – we want to see what Chad has, but Devin's still a great player. And they can say everything. At the end of the day, they have benched Devin Lloyd for Chad Muma. That is what yep. they've done. And you studied both guys coming out last year. Your thoughts on Muma getting put in and Lloyd being sent to the sideline? Well, they were very different players coming out, which I think made it very interesting pairing because they do have some of the similar traits in the sense that they're – long and athletic, but from a play style perspective, they're incredibly different players. I mean, Devin Lloyd was a downhill diagnostic player who honestly, Utah, a lot of times in obvious passing situations and long third down opportunities, they're putting him down at defensive end. They're asking him to rush the, rush the quarterback. So I'm not surprised that there's been some lapses as a pass coverage player. Cause to be honest, just wasn't asked to do it a ton at Utah, if we're being completely honest with ourselves, right? Like, he was basically a sub-package rusher when passing situations happen most of the time. So, I think there's just some inconsistencies because there's honestly an experience. I think that there's no reason to believe that he can't be better at it because, again, I mean, at the end of the day, you're 6'3 plus with long arms and a good overall athlete. So, there's no reason to think that you can't be better in pass coverage. But, again, like, I, I'm not super surprised that he isn't – the best pass coverage linebacker from day one. Chad Muma, on the other hand, was a kid at Wyoming that did a lot of nice stuff in pursuits, played pretty physical, but he was definitely more of a pursuit-laden player. But he wasn't a heavy blitzer uh, on the college level. He was a guy that was asked to work in coverage, was a guy that was asked to use more in space than what a Devin Lloyd was. So again, like I'm not surprised that maybe he is a more counted-upon player in the pass game. But I just think for me, moving forward, like if this coaching staff, they have an opportunity to make it work because there is ways that you could accentuate both players' strengths and use them together in a lot of instances. So I think there's just a maturation that needs to happen with a Devin Lloyd. But again, I think that there were some causes for concern, at least early on, that maybe he wouldn't be the pass, pass coverage linebacker in the world. Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com. Uh, quickly, because you, you've piqued my interest, something we've thrown out here. The defense is so terrible that at this point we're willing to try anything. What about yep. moving Trayvon Walker inside, having his hand on the ground, and putting Devin Lloyd outside as a 3-4 outside edge linebacker? 
Uh, I mean, that, that would have been the first thing that I would do if I'm being honest, like when the, when the draft happened, that would have been, you know, it wouldn't have been preferred for me on a full-time basis to put Lloyd as a, as an on ball edge. But I think that for me, I would have perceived that that's what Trayvon Walker's role would have been at the next level. Ryan, to be honest, because I mean, if people ask me coming out, where does Trayvon fit best? I would have said he fits best as an odd man front, you know, playing some five, playing some four, four. I, I mean, he, for me, is a incredibly disruptive football player, but I don't think he's a true outside track guy, which when I heard that he was playing more of a three, four outside linebacker role, at least, you know, in a large degree, I was like, that's kind of an, an odd move because that's not at all what he was asked to do at Georgia. And when you look at him, I mean, this kid's 6'5", 270 pounds playing that position. Like he's a bigger dude. So I, I think that for me it works perfectly for Trayvon Walker. He honestly, a, role that I think accentuates his strengths and fits him best. Devin Lloyd is one of those dudes, though, like I said, at Utah, he actually had a lot of reps that were nice on ball. So I think for me, like if you're working a three a three linebacker system or a three linebacker um, type of alignment where maybe you use Devin Lloyd more as your Sam backer and then there's times that you use him on ball almost like kind of like an under front, I think that that works best to eliminate some of the pass coverage woes. And if that's where you're – going to use Trayvon Walker a little more inside as kind of that five tech four, four I type of player. I think he could be a really dominant player in that instance, because I think that the outside track nuance flexibility part, is not going to matter as much. It's going to be more now about winning with power, hand fighting, slipping gaps. And I think that's what Trayvon Walker does best, to be honest. Well, that's fascinating. And hopefully they, they do something because uh, the Detroit Lions did not punt. On Sunday. It's unbelievable. They did not punt the football. All right, Ryan. Anthony Richardson. Again, Ryan Roberts, riseindraft.com. Anthony Richardson declares for the draft. Again, head scratcher for me, for him this season. You see all the talent in the world. The guy is an athletic freak. Yet when his tight end runs a five-yard button hook, he throws a 90-mile-an-hour laser that is not going to be caught by anybody on planet Earth. So what are your thoughts about Anthony Richardson moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I have a, uh, I have kind of a mixed opinion on Richardson, to be honest with you, man. I, look, if I'm in a part of a scouting staff that believes in my coaching and believes in my quarterback development, I'm taking a chance on that kid early. I am, because I think that you have seen, while you are correct, there's a lot of inconsistencies in his game. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he started off the season hot against Utah. And he went through a few game stretch where he looked terrible. He looked like he was a kid that needed to go back to school, maybe transfer, dependent. And then he finished off the season on a pretty good note. You know, there was a, this, this box score says his final game wasn't very good. But if you watch that game, I mean, there were a ton of drops, a ton of inconsistencies around him. And I think that you did see him show tremendous growth throughout the season. But his biggest worry, and you already pointed out, is that there is a I call it changing arm speeds. People call it throwing with touch and, you know, kind of taking something off or putting something on in football. And I think that he struggles with that right now, understanding what velocity am I throwing with here? You know, not everything has to be a fastball, you know, for baseball fans, like not a pitcher's not going to throw a fastball every time. They need to know when to mix in a change up, throw a curveball, do those types of things. So I think he just doesn't have all the tools in the toolbox from a pitch repertoire perspective right now. But I think when you talk about the traits, though, I mean, everyone's trying to make Will Levis before the season and during the season the next Josh Allen. But I, I would argue that if there's anybody that is close to that skill set, it's probably Anthony Richardson. Because like you said, he is a 6'4", near 240-pound kid who's an athletic freak, probably going to run in the four fives, has an incredibly strong arm. 
And there are instances on film, especially later in the season, where you see some increased touch. You see some increased decision-making. You see that he might st- be starting to turn the corner. But for me, I think it's an interesting and actually pretty positive decision for him, in my opinion, because the one good thing that's going to happen now is he's not going to be the first overall pick. He's not going to be the second overall pick. He's probably going to be a mid to late first-round pick, which means for me he's going to go into a situation – that's probably on a better football team, more than likely, probably in a situation where you have a good coaching staff, a good culture, and maybe you don't have to be a guy that's pressed into playing a ton early. Because I do think that he's a kid that just needs to see the game a little bit, maybe learn from an older quarterback, kind of be tutored a little bit. This is more a long-term investment. But if he, if he is a lot, if you do hit with this kid, though, and he is able to develop, he could be a star at the next level. But there's no doubt in the world that you're going to take a gamble on him. It, it is a massive gamble, but it's one that could really pay off or in a couple of years, your scouting staff could get fired. Like there's no in between with Anthony Richardson. I don't think he's just going to be a good solid quarterback next level. I think either he's a star or he's out of the league in four to five years. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with anything that you said. You see the talent, you see the potential. There is no question, but you also see there's a lot of flaws that need correcting Ryan Roberts, rise and draft.com. Ryan, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville about the website. You know you're one of my favorites on that website. You do a terrific job there. We'll have you on as the draft gets closer. But what can people expect when they head over to riseanddraft.com? Yeah, I mean, we kind of think of it as a one-stop shop for all draft nerds out there. I mean, that's kind of where my allegiance comes from, man. I've been watching this thing since I was a little kid with my dad and, you know, just kind of celebrating the draft process a little bit. So there's a – Mock draft database on there. I know everyone likes to play around with that, but I think our bread and butter is really our database for draft eligible players that gives you a lot of verified information from heights, weights, wingspans, hand sizes, some background info, ages, all that type of stuff. So if you really want to nerd out on stuff, I would go over to riseanddraft.com. We again we try to make it a one-stop shop for all the draft nerds out there. Ryan, we'll begin probably a monthly thing with you very shortly, man. Thank you, as always. Know you're busy this time of year. Happy holidays, and we'll talk in January. Uh, You too, brother. I really appreciate it. Always appreciate Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com. Yeah, normally this time of year we are full-blown draft mode. The Jaguars actually have won four games this year, so we didn't have to get into it as early as we normally do, but it won't be long until we're analyzing every wide receiver, defensive back, defensive lineman known to man, because those are certainly areas that the Jaguars might address. Um, I would think defensive line and secondary, absolutely. Uh, So we'll talk a lot of draft. Ryan Roberts, certainly one of our guys here on Hacker After Dark. Almost halftime, one hour down, one hour to go. Jacksonville, we're with you until 10 o'clock tonight. We stream the show every night for your viewing pleasure on YouTube. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark there until 10 o'clock tonight. Also on Twitter, at 1010XL on the Twitter, and you will see Hacker After Dark there until 10 o'clock tonight as well. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Into the 9 o'clock hour we go. A reminder, coming up in about 20 minutes, we're going to go out to Boulder, Colorado. Why are we going to Boulder, Colorado? Well, I'll tell you why. We're going to go talk to Mark Johnson, the play-by-play voice of the Colorado Buffaloes, because it's prime time out in the Pac-12. Deion Sanders 
out at Colorado as the Buffalo head coach. We'll talk with Mark Johnson, the radio voice of Colorado, about what it's been like over the last couple of days since Deion Sanders is now the new head football coach out there at the University of Colorado. And at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, we will have Blaine Bishop up in Nashville, a former four-time Pro Bowler for the Tennessee Titans. You now hear him on 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. We'll get the Titans' perspective of this game on Sunday, Jacksonville and Tennessee. Of course, you'll hear it right here on one, at 1 o'clock on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Coming up next, I want to get into the Jaguars. I also want to get into a little Florida State. Have you seen what's going on at Florida State the last couple of days? Everybody appears to be coming back. Florida State might be really good in 2023. That's next on Hacker After Dark. Grown-ups, in between, churning babies. Right about now, is your boy, you heard, back again. DJ Manny, Oh, Mark, sing what a song. Is, song. Come what on. is this? Hang on. Go, DJ. I see. Go, DJ. Yes. Go, DJ. I'm not sure if you know this, Denmark. What's that? This did not make the iPod shuffle back Damn. in the day. The iPod Nano. Is that a thing? I'm a sh- yeah, that was like, dude, that was like, uh, gosh. Before 2010. Mm-hmm. I was an iPod shuffle guy. I have graduated, though. I have the uh, AirPods now. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. You those, moved up in the those world. Those are certainly something. You turn the Bluetooth on, and you get after it on the airplane. Yeah, it's hey, those are pretty good. They're a lot better than the uh, the wired. Yes, yeah. So I, I'm hip, man. That was, uh, was that Little Wayne? Is that who you said that was? Yes, that is Lil Wayne, L-I-L. Oh, Lil Wayne. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> Um, you know, like Tracy Lawrence, Garth Brooks, Travis Tritt, Brooks and Dunn. That's more my speed. Okay. But I do appreciate a good, uh, good song. And DJ, look, it's a big night in Gainesville, big night in Jacksonville as DJ Lagway, one of the best quarterbacks in the country for the class of 2024 is committed to the university of Florida. We had his head football coach on from Willis high school out there in the state of Texas, Trent Miller. If you missed it, it's on 1010XL on demand. We'll see what we can do about getting DJ Lagway himself on. We're certainly working on that as well, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week on Hacker After Dark. All right, I want to get into the Jaguars a little bit, but a quick Florida State thought. So Jordan Travis announced he's coming back, which is a huge deal for FSU, a huge deal, because he had a great year, led him to a 9-3 and three year. They're going to destroy Oklahoma. They're going to be 10-3. and three. And a lot of their guys that could have gone pro are coming back too. A lot of their guys that could have gone to the league are coming back. With Clemson having some issues, losing some guys, I got to tell you, I'm not so sure Florida State won't be picked to win the ACC next year. And I'm not so sure Florida State isn't a potential dark horse candidate for a college football playoff berth next year. I'm pretty high on the Seminoles right now. I really like what they're doing. Now, they have a very tough opening game in 2023. Remember that whole LSU thing in New Orleans? Remember that one? 
That's a two-parter. They play again next year in Orlando. And this will not be Brian Kelly's first game. This will be an established Brian Kelly opening up with the Seminoles in Orlando in 2023. You look at Florida State's schedule next year, and it's just a, a who's who in 2023. You got Southern Miss. You got North Alabama. That'll be a good one. Of course, you got Florida. You got LSU. And then you got the conference schedule. And keep in mind, the conference schedule for the Knowles is going to change. What we've known as the Atlantic Division in the ACC and the Coastal Division in the ACC is no more. So it's going to change. I think the home games next year for Florida State, Miami, Syracuse, Duke, Virginia Tech. The road games next year, Clemson, Boston College, Pitt, and Wake Forest. Look, that Pitt game will be tough. It's tough to go into Pitt and win. There's no doubt about that. At Clemson's going to be tough. Wake Forest is losing everybody, so I think they're going to come back down to earth. And you get Miami at home. You got LSU on a neutral site, and you got to go to the Swamp. It's not an overly daunting schedule. For the Gators, or for the Seminoles, rather. Not overly daunting. So we'll see. But I really like the direction Florida State's going right now. I liked the direction the Jaguars were going after they beat Baltimore. That Baltimore win was 10 days ago. 10 days ago. It might as well have been 10 months ago. That's how awful the thing was in Detroit on Sunday. That's how awful the taste was left in all of our mouths after Detroit gave Jacksonville the beating on Sunday. And I got to thinking driving in tonight for Hacker After Dark, when you start looking ahead to 2023, we'll do the offense tomorrow. Let's take a quick look at the defense for 2023. Jaguar fans, who gets your juices flowing on this Jaguar defense? Who gets you excited and ready to go? thinking about what they could be in 2023 on the defensive side of the ball. Are you fired up about year two of Trayvon Walker? Are you fired up about Andre Sisco and what he could bring to the table? Have Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma done enough to light your fire heading into 2023? Tyson Campbell? Yeah, okay. I would listen to you on that one. The bottom line is it's just hard to get fired up for the future on this defense because the defense has been awful and a lot of these guys are going to be gone next year. Roy Robertson-Harris is probably gone. Shaq Griffin's definitely gone. You save a lot of money if you cut Rayshon Jenkins. Dewan Smoot is a free agent. How much money are you willing to spend on Dewan Smoot to bring him back? Josh Allen, can you get fired up about Josh Allen? Now, it'll be a contract year for Josh Allen because I would be flabbergasted, stunned if the Jaguars offered Josh Allen a contract this offseason. I think he's going to go into next year, play the fifth-year team option, and we're going to see. If he has a great year, you put a franchise tag on him. If he doesn't have a great year, he probably is gone. He's going to want big money. I'm not paying Josh Allen big money this offseason. Are you kidding me? He's giving you nothing. He is giving you nothing. 
So when I think about this defense moving forward, look, Trayvon Walker, there's no way you give up on that guy after 12 games, all right? I am excited about Trayvon Walker next year. Tyson Campbell, yeah. No, I think he's regressed a little bit. I think Tyson Campbell was better in September and October than he's been in November and early December. But I'm still good with Tyson Campbell. Devin Lloyd is a head-scratcher, man. Boy, that guy looked good the first month of the year. Remember the talk, Defensive Rookie of the Year? We found our Darius Leonard. We found our Keith Bullock. And now he's been benched. He has been benched. Phrase it however you want. Say it however you want. Chad Moom is on the field and Devin Lloyd isn't a majority of the time. Chad Moom, I think, is a good player, but does he get you fired up for what he could become in 2023? No. It's going to be interesting. They got a lot of work to do this offseason on this defense. A lot of work. And they get Derrick Henry on Sunday in Nashville. We've seen that story time and time again. Let's go to Boulder, Colorado. Mark Johnson is the play-by-play voice of the Colorado Buffaloes. Let's talk Deion Sanders. What has it been like in Boulder, Colorado this week? Now that Deion, Coach Prime, is the head coach at Colorado. Bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, we'll go to Nashville. Former Titan Blaine Bishop will give us the Titan side of this matchup. We got a lot to do in the 9 o'clock hour. Jacksonville, it's a Wednesday night on Hacker After Dark. We're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL, and it's 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. One of the big stories in the world of sports this weekend is Deion Sanders, primetime, of course, formerly of Florida State, formerly of the Atlanta Falcons, formerly now the head coach of Jackson State, as he is now in the Power Five, out in the Pac-12, taking the head coaching job at the University of Colorado. Let's go to the state of Colorado. Mark Johnson is the play-by-play voice of the Colorado Buffaloes, and he joins us here on 1010XL. Mark, how you doing? Doing fantastic. A lot of excitement out here. Do you know, Ryan, how big a story this was in, in the Denver-Boulder area? It overshadowed the Denver Broncos. And out here, nothing overshadows the Denver Broncos, although they're having a bad season. They're always the lead story. And yesterday, it was all about the University of Colorado and Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, coming here. So uh, this thing has uh, been a seismic shift in the state of Colorado here the last 48 hours. Mark, I'm fascinated to see what happens, no question. I want to talk about Dion, what it means for the program. But let's take a step back. Mark, how did we get here? Colorado football, once a very proud program. We remember some of the the great players. You think of Cordell Stewart, Michael Westbrook, the Hail Mary against Michigan. You fast forward some very good teams under Rick Neuheisel. But, boy, it's been down times out there for Colorado. What has happened to that program, Mark, over the last few years? Well, I tell you what, I'm not sure your show is long enough to really chronicle all of that because it is. It, if somebody could do a fascinating study on how to really destroy a great brand at one point in time and what's happened here in the last 20 years. This is my 19th season doing the Buffaloes. So my first two years, you mentioned Rick Neuheisel. Gary Barnett took over from Rick Neuheisel in 2001, nearly played for the national championship. They were a top three team in the country, and, and it was rolling along. I got here in 04, 
Uh, both years they won the Big 12 North, played the Packers in the Big 12 championship games, lost both of them, still had a very good football team. And then Gary Barnett got fired, and then they hired Dan Hawkins, and that didn't work out. There were administrative issues that they where they changed about recruiting and about admissions. Uh, so that was another you know misstep. And then at the end, they were going to fire Dan Hawkins, and then they didn't fire Dan Hawkins, brought him back another year. And so that was another misstep because everyone knew he was a dead man walking. And recruiting that was used against Colorado from a recruiting standpoint. And, and and then you can go on down the line. And every coach they they brought in just didn't seem to be the guy. And there were some inherent issues with the program. And so it was one thing after another to lead us to this point. Let's be honest about it. I, you know, doing every one of those twelve games this season, Colorado went one and eleven. Might have been the worst FBS football team in America. And it's stunning to think of with all the resume that you laid out about what Colorado was in the past. And so it's been a long, painful process to get to this point. But Deion Sanders is the kind of guy that I don't think he's got a lot of patience for a long build. I think he wants to make this thing, you know, great again very, very quickly. And so we'll see how he does that here in the next couple of seasons. You know, in our neck of the woods, Mark, down here in Jacksonville, we were thinking, you know, Georgia Tech was open. Deion had ties in Atlanta from the Falcons and the Braves days. Auburn was open. Maybe that job was a little too too much, too quick. Plus, you got to deal with all the, the boosters and everything that Auburn has going on. I didn't even consider Colorado in the conversation until the story came out about a week ago. Take us through the process. Obviously, Deion Sanders appears to be a guy Colorado was targeting all along. Well, there was a number of guys. There was about five coaches they talked to heavily. And being as close as I am to the program and knowing the folks that were on the committee, I, I realized very quickly that Dion had been contacted. Now, I was like you. Your, your initial reaction is, I don't see the fit. With all of his connections down south, where he grew up, where he played, where he's been living, I kept thinking, I, I don't understand the connection here. He's never been a West Coast guy. How does this work? And, and so I kind of dismissed it initially. But then as time wore on, I continued to hear that name pop up. And I thought, maybe there is apparently at some point uh, through their careers, and, and there was somewhat of a relationship there. And so they began to build upon that. And, and you know, when you think about it, what Dion has done in his career, he's certainly one of the great athletes in history. I mean, you think about you know the Dion Sanders or Bo Jacksons or Jim Thorpes or Jesse Owens or those kind of people. He's one of the greatest athletes we've ever known. So we, we know what he brings athletically. And then he's been just a, a tour de force in terms of his personality, what he's done from a business standpoint. Then he gets into coaching at Jackson State and went 27-5, and five, for goodness sakes. And you thought, well, holy cow, this guy seems to know what he's doing in terms of, of that. You know, a lot of times great players don't make great coaches because they don't understand why players didn't see you know, what they saw when they played. But, but he appears to be one of those rare breeds that, that seems to do it. And so I'm still stunned that Colorado was the only Power 5 call that Deion Sanders got. I'm amazed by that, considering his track record. Uh, Rick George has always been kind of a forward-thinking guy, and so he was the first guy to step out there and make the offer. Well, once that happened, I thought, you know, this is this is dead serious. I mean, this may happen. And, uh, you know, we were all on pins and needles here for a while, but really about two weeks ago, I kind of got the sense if, if this might be a done deal. I think he's coming here. and obviously, Mark Johnson is the play-by-play voice of the University of Colorado. He's with us here on 1010XL Radio in Jacksonville. All right, Mark, the reaction from the Colorado fan base. I can't even begin to imagine the maybe excitement, the intrigue, all kinds of verbiage you could use there. What has been the reaction over this past weekend? Well, uh, you know, think of a, you know, a small child waking up on Christmas morning and it is just nothing but screaming and hollering and, and glee. 
that's what we've seen for the Colorado fan base. I mean, this thing has been energized like nothing I've ever seen before. The, the, the fan base has just gone out of its mind. And then Dion shows up yesterday and, and does that press conference. And, if, uh, and everyone's seen Dion speak, of course. He's got a cadence about him, and there's a charisma about him that is intoxicating. Uh, and so he came in and hit a home run. Uh, in that press conference yesterday, which I think even ramped it even more, and I wasn't sure that was possible. So the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, everyone is ecstatic right now. I understand he had a meeting with some high-level boosters at one point uh, over the weekend as well and lit them on fire. Then he walked into the press conference and did the same thing with the local media and with the fan base. And so uh, and then, then I'm sure you saw the video of him walking in and talking to his team. That was certainly interesting as well. So, yeah, it's been overwhelmingly positive, and the excitement level is just off the charts right now. You know, the one thing that's interesting to me, well, actually a couple of things, and he's only been out there less than 24 hours, he goes into that press conference yesterday with his son, who's transferring from Jackson State with him. He points to his son and says, that's your quarterback. So yep. he made he meant no words about that. There's not even a competition there. And then he goes into the, the team meeting room, and some people are taking it as he's telling them all to transfer. That's not what he said. But he basically said, if you want to enter the portal, that's fine, because that means I can bring more guys in because uh, there will yep. be more spaces. I mean, obviously, Dion doesn't care about feelings here. He's not really messing around. No, exactly right. And, and, and I think there have been a lot of people that took that exactly like you laid it out, that he was basically telling him to leave. And that, that was not the, that's not the way I took it at all. I, I was actually not at the press conference yesterday. I was in Seattle doing a college basketball game. And so I, I wasn't around. I was kind of watching it from afar as well. But, you know, all of our staff members were communicating with me, and, and a lot of the media people were dropping me lines. So I had a lot of firsthand uh, reporting on what was going on there. No, I, I took the video of him in the team meeting as saying, this is what's going to happen. We're going to raise the bar higher than you've ever imagined. And so if you're not willing to be there, you might as well jump to the portal because he will clean out guys that don't want to be there. You know, and that's not unlike what most coaches say when they take jobs. I mean, there was nothing terribly unique about that. He just said it in a unique way. Most guys, when they walk in, will tell them, listen, we're raising the bar, you know, beyond what you, you have done in the past. And so you better be willing to pay that kind of price. That's the way I took what Dion was saying, and I think that's, that's what he meant by it. Final moments here with Mark Johnson, the play-by-play -play voice of the Colorado Buffaloes. Dion Sanders, now the head coach of the Colorado football program. All right, realistic expectations. I mean, Mark, you're the play-by-play -play man. You've been so for almost two decades. You just said that you think Colorado may have been the worst Division One football team this year. They finished 1-11. Uh, we know all about that from Billy Napier's first year in Gainesville. There's only so much you can do in one off season. So what are the expectations for Dion when he hits the ground running? Obviously, the portal is going to be huge. Recruiting, he'll do what he can. But are Colorado fans, do they know that this is going to be a, you know, a build and not just all of a sudden you land Dion there and, you know, they're 10-2 and two next year? Well, here's the thing about it. The college football has changed, obviously. I mean, listen, I, I did games with TCU this season and USC. There, there's two of the top teams in the country. And both at USC with Lincoln Riley and Sonny Dykes down at TCU had 50 new players on their roster from a year ago. Wow. I mean, that, that, it, this isn't like, you know, 10 years ago where it takes you three or four years to roll a roster. You can essentially do it in a year at this point in time. Now, what we've seen since the announcement has come down that uh, you know Coach Prime is going to be the head coach at Colorado, you have seen actual players 
uh, reaching out online saying, I want to be part of this. The number one recruit in 2022 live streamed last night said, Coach, I'm coming. And so, uh, and then there was another report I saw last night when I was flying back um, that uh, one of the national reporters said that somebody at CU had told him that 200 players who put their names in the portal contacted or tried to contact CU yesterday saying, I want to come there. So, listen, if you can roll 50, 60 guys over in a year, you can totally redo a roster, in which case you can turn things pretty quickly. I mean, this isn't you know, like 1994 anymore. It doesn't take three or four years. You can do it in a couple of years. Now, what does that mean for next season? What are the expectations? Well, you know, Deion Sanders is the kind of guy, I don't think he's got a lot of patience for long builds. I think he says, I'm coming here, we're going to change this thing immediately. Now, is that realistic? Well, it all depends on what that roster is going to look like. And so um, – I think right now for, you know, fans, but then again, fans see with their hearts, not with their eyes, they're expecting, you know, a 10-2 and two season next season. What Deion Sanders is expecting, guys like that that are top-level athletes, the Deion Sanders and Michael Jordans of the world, and that level of athlete, all they think about is winning and winning championships. So that's probably on his mind. Realistic, I think if, if this program were to go, you know, 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, one of those kind of deals next year, I think everybody would be ecstatic with that. And so, you know, the I think the expectations are someplace between six and six and, and twelve and zero, and we'll see what reality is next year. Hey, Mark, final question, man. I know you're busy, and certainly appreciate your time after Deion Sanders takes the job out there at Colorado. He comes into the Pac-12 at an interesting time. USC and UCLA are on their way out. Who really knows what the future holds? I mean, what is the dynamic that Dion is coming into? Because Chip Kelly and Lincoln Riley and their programs are about to exit. So what does the Pac-12 look like in the next two or three years? Well, that, that's a great question. And let me add one more level, Ryan, to what you were just saying there. You know, they're also right now the only major conferences out there shopping for a new media rights deal. And you don't think the attention and, and charisma that Deion Sanders brings to the Pac-12 isn't valuable from a television standpoint? So what this conference looks like, I don't know. There, there's been talk about, you know, bringing – San Diego State in and maybe adding them to the Pac-12. And there's been some other schools rumored out there. I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but I do know this. A conference with Deion Sanders and the media savvy that he brings along with that makes it a much more valuable property than it was prior to Deion Sanders showing up. So uh, well, whatever it is, uh, the future of the Pac-12, it, it's a little bit brighter today than it was two days ago, I can tell you that much. Boy, it's going to be fascinating. And I believe Colorado, correct me if I'm wrong, they, Deion Sanders' debut next year will be – against TCU, right? A team in the playoff right now. Yeah, how about this? We'll open up at TCU next year, so you've got a matchup with presumably a top-five team to start the season next year. And then the first game at home, his first game at Folsom Field next year, is against their old rival from the Big 8 and Big 12 days, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and Matt Rule, the new coach there. You want to talk about electricity? I'm not sure Boulder, Colorado is going to be able to hold what happens uh, next to September 8th or 9th, whatever it is. Oh, man, that is absolutely fantastic. Mark, we certainly appreciate the time. Again, Mark Johnson, the play-by-play voice of the Colorado Buffaloes. Best of luck with Dion. There's no question people will be watching. And, Mark, we'll talk soon, my friend. Thank you. I look forward to it, Ryan. Thank you. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans, Sunday, 1 o'clock up in Nashville. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. November 10th, 2013, the last time the Jaguars have won a game up in Nashville. Will that change on Sunday? 
I would doubt it, but let's talk about it anyway with Blaine Bishop, a four-time Pro Bowler of the Tennessee Titans. You hear him now on 104.5 The Zone up in Nashville, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Blaine, how we doing? What's going on, Ryan, man? I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, yeah, the Jaguars, man, they always make me nervous because they have talent, and now they got a coach. So you never want to be surprised and better, you know, bring your A game if you're playing the Jags. That's for sure. Well, I'll tell you, it's been an interesting year for the Jags. Uh, they were – things were looking up. I mean, all their losses were very competitive until last uh -huh. week. I have no idea what happened in Detroit. But, but boy, you guys in Tennessee – Made some news earlier this week with the firing of your general manager, John Robinson. I mean, good heavens, if you fire him, I don't know what Trent Balky's <laughs> doing here in Jacksonville. Uh, Blaine, what went into that decision? Were you surprised by that? Man, uh, I, I, well, I'm going to say this. I was surprised in the timing. I actually wasn't shocked because, uh, you know, they did the same thing when Mike Malarkey had success and went to the second round of playoffs and they let him go. So based off of when Amy has been at the ham here the last five or six years, uh, she's uh, pulled a rabbit out of her hat. And, you know, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors and made a decision, thought it was questionable because he had success here in Malarkey and taken to the second round uh, and really improved and changed as a coach uh, and became a player's coach. Uh, and she made the move. So this one here, more surprised of the timing. And it was really because JR, he, he missed on some – you know, some first round guys, uh, high draft pick guys. And, uh, you know, it's roosting his head because their their offensive line, uh, they have no backup options. And the left side is just uh, not, you know, Brable's not able to, you know, run his scheme and system, which is running the football. And we're playing with guys probably, you know, one should be a backup and the other one should uh, probably be on the practice squad or, or maybe not even in the league. You know, I'm not an NFL historian, but I would have to imagine a team with a three-game lead in the division and a team that will have a home playoff game. I don't know how often they fire general managers at that point in the season, but that's exactly what Tennessee yeah, did earlier this week. All right, Blaine, looking at it from afar, it appears the Titans are still very good, although it does appear, you know, like you and I talked this offseason, is that window starting to come down a little bit? Look, Ryan Tannehill's not getting any younger. Derrick Henry is not getting any younger. How would you summarize the season to this point? Uh, probably, if they weren't in the AFC South, would be an average team or below average team in a normal conference. That, that's really it. That became clear as day. They can't play with the elite teams, and they have to play their best to beat uh, you know everybody else. Uh, so the playoff contending teams, not so much. So that's that's where we're at, and that's what the talent level. They just don't have enough talent. Like if I if I really ask, granted the records are better, what team is more talented, the Jaguars or the Titans? I would say the Jaguars. See, and that is not good. That means Brable is winning with less, and that's more about coaching, uh, game planning than anything else. It wasn't actually the talent, and I think the rooster hit his head with AJ Brown being traded and seeing it live and in action. How what kind of impact he is on their team, and then how we don't we really have any impact at our receiver position. Blaine Bishop, former Tennessee Titans safety. You hear him now on 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. What about Mike Vrabel? I love the guy. Uh, boy, you talk about the Jaguars back-to-back -back weeks going from Dan Campbell in Detroit 
to now Mike Vrabel in Tennessee, probably uh, the two guys I would have my money on to win a battle royal for NFL head coaches. Uh, I love everything about Vrabel. Does he still have the, uh, you know, the does he still got the team's ear now the way he did, you know, the last two or three seasons? Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I think he's still evolving into one of the top five coaches in the National Football League, and he's shown that pretty much uh, throughout this season. So he's real settled in and and uh, he's done a fabulous job uh, to this point based off of uh, what he's uh, playing with. Uh, so, and he's done that with, uh, you know, Tannehill missing a couple games, throwing only five and 10 passes in an NFL game with Malik Willis and still winning or competing against elite, you know, teams like Kansas City. So I, I think he's done a, a fabulous job. I can't really say that he's really a got out coach, maybe one of the games, but uh, he's been on par what you expected. You know, with the passing game, actually, let's go with, with to Derrick Henry first. Derrick Henry uh, with that running game, maybe not what he was two or three years ago, but still one of the top running backs in the league. But are you starting to see signs, Blaine, that he's not 25 any longer? <laughs> you know what? Everybody keeps saying that. I, I haven't actually seen the signs. You know why I say that? It's because the offensive line is so bad. I mean, he's not even getting to the line of scrimmage. So I can't tell if he's lost a step or not. Now, some people say when he's broken the open field, he's kind of gotten caught. I don't really see where they, they had angles on him. You know, so I haven't really seen that yet. You know what I can say that I have seen, though, is him doing things that I hadn't seen him ever do. Jump cuts, like, you know, I mean, stop and then changing like he's a 5'11", you know, running back. I hadn't seen him do any of that before he's doing done that. I mean, he did it repeatedly in the commander's game. Uh, so uh, maybe if he's lost a half a step, this is not there. I, I still think Derrick Henry is still Derrick Henry. So I, we shall see. I think I need a little more data and him running through some more holes just because he hasn't broken any long ones. Doesn't mean he's lost a step. Uh, I just think the line is nowhere near. If this team played last year's team, last year's team would blow them out couple of more for Blaine Bishop, 104.5 The Zone in Nashville, of course, was a former pro bowler and all-pro safety there with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, the passing game, I love the rookie, Traylon Burks out of um, out of Arkansas. I know that he took a wicked hit last yeah. week in Philadelphia. I don't know what his status will be for Sunday. Robert Woods has been brought in. What does that vertical passing game look like now after A.J. Brown departed? Uh, without Burks, there is none. That's just plain and simple. They they don't you know they have some average receivers. Uh, Woods is coming off an ACL, so he's not the same Woods. Uh, the passing game is kind of mediocre. They have no one, but when Burks is out there, they have a threat. But he missed like three or four games because he had a turf or a toe injury. I don't know what form of a turf, but he and then when he came back, he started impacting the game more than we had ever seen before the last three games. And he's looked phenomenal. I'm hoping he gets a chance to play. I hope he's doing fine. I know he got knocked out, but. Uh, in the uh, Eagles game early on, but made a fantastic catch, uh, combat catch in the end zone for a touchdown and held on to it. Uh, so, you know, yeah, he's he's been – I think we were getting close to see really what his impact could be. We were getting really – the last three weeks was the best we have seen him and seemed like he was coming in on. And they needed him too because he brings another dimension. He just has first-round talent. Uh, and, that, and everybody else then settled into their roles with Robert Woods and NWI kind of being that number two, three guy. And uh, Phillips still being out, being a draft pick, kind of that slot guy. 
So it, it was a phenomenal watch, but I, I just think, uh, you know, the receivers, uh, they need help. They, they need help, and I don't know if they can get open or if the offensive linemen aren't blocking long enough to let Tannehill throw them to get them open. Blaine, defensively, uh, you mentioned Jeffrey Simmons earlier. Obviously, we know Kevin Byard. They still got a lot of the same yeah. guys. Are they are they as productive? Because we know in years past, this Titans defense has been one of the best in the league. Well, uh, we could talk about Archery's been out, and he's going to be out a while. He got injured, rolled up on against Green Bay, and he hasn't been out there. And the defense line hasn't looked the same since then. Now, it could be also Jeffrey Simmons is playing with a – I don't know. He hurt his ankle. He stepped on someone's foot in the in the Green Bay or you know the game before that, and he hasn't been the impactful player that he was before that. When I say impactful, I mean he was dominating games. Uh, now he's just looked like he shows up here and there. So I think that's really bothering him. And now Archery's out. Uh, uh, Bayard has looked like Bayard always looks. Uh, not that many opportunities to make plays. A lot of people are attacking our corners, playing a lot of man-to-man. So I'll be interested to see if they continue that because I don't. I thought they should have played a lot more zone versus the Eagles uh, and make them dink and dunk and, and read the coverages. But they decided that they're going to play man-to-man. And uh, A.J. Brown and Devontae uh, Smith and, and Quez, they, they feasted on that. Uh, so I, I would have never done that. But uh, so, uh, yeah, so they – have just looked okay the last three weeks. So before that, the do- defense since week three was looking really dominant. They've definitely slowed their pace here the uh, last two or three weeks. Blaine, here's something for your show coming up. Uh, you can feel free to use it any day this week. When the Jaguars come up there on Sunday, it will have been 3,318 days since the last time they've won a game in Nashville. November Ooh. 10th, 2013. It- it's unbelievable. Uh, I'm curious from afar, we keep uh, tabs on you guys. Like, I'm sure you guys at least notice what we're doing down here. As a former Pro Bowl safety, what do you make of Trevor Lawrence and what do you make of Doug Peterson and what the Jaguars are bringing to town on Sunday? Man, I'm always, uh, you know, and I think a lot of the fan base thinks it's just a no-brainer they're going to win. I'm always a little nervous whenever we play the Jaguars because I understand their talent. I know – Trevor Lawrence is getting better. I don't know where he's at. I think he got, you know, injured a little bit. I don't know where he's at. I know they have some talented receivers. They've got a great front four and, and uh, you know, some up-and-coming guys in the secondary. So I always feel like they have the talent now. I think they have the coach. Uh, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't want to play him at the end of the season. I'd rather play him at the beginning of the season when it was still early on. So they don't know what they don't know. And it seems like they've been in a lot of games, except for this last game, and just can't close some of them out. So that's a dangerous team. So if they hang around in the way the style that the Titans play, they could hang around. Uh, you never know. That's a dangerous team. The, the big thing is, I think Derrick Henry, since he's from that area in Jacksonville, he always seems to play one of his better games. So I'm interested to see if that continues uh, in this game or or will Jacksonville have something uh, you know up their sleeve as far as changing their scheme a little bit. A lot of teams have been doing that, playing five- and six-man front with D linemen out there. Blaine, final question. Again, we'll talk again in a couple of weeks. The Jaguars and the Titans have two remaining against each other over the last five weeks of the year. It sounds like, and don't let me put words in your mouth, so you tell me if I'm reading you correctly. It sounds like you're telling me if the Titans were not in the AFC South that you don't know if they're a, a very good you know, team, but because they play in a bad division, they're feasting on bad division talent. Is that accurate? 
Well, I, I, well, yeah. Let me rephrase that. I would say they wouldn't be winning their division. I think they'd still be an average team in the National Football League. I just don't know if that would equate to them making the playoffs if they just won another couple games here and they, they have a shot of, you know, the automatic bit of the, winning the division of the AFC South. So I think the division helps them. I think they're just an average team in the NFL and can't really beat the elite or doesn't have the talent to beat the elite. Yeah, pretty crazy. They're seven and five on the year. And they're three games clear of everybody else in the Uh AFC South. Blaine Bishop was a terrific safety for the Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Titans. He's always kind enough to join us here on Titans Jaguars week on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Blaine, enjoy the game. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks. No doubt about it, man. Appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks. Oh, there you go. Blaine Bishop, former pro bowler for the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Oilers, for that matter. He's our guy up in Nashville. We always appreciate him coming on here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Yeah, really interesting times in Tennessee. They have a three-game lead in the division. They can be division champions as early as, I guess, two weeks from now, and they just fired their general manager. John Robinson, go figure. Uh, Very interesting stuff, although Blaine said it. Look, he's like, if they were not in the AFC South, they're an average football team. The fact that they're 7-5, and and 7-5, and three games clear of everybody else in the division is a complete indictment of everybody else in the AFC South. But again, thank you to Blaine Bishop for joining us. That'll just about do it here on Hacker After Dark on a Wednesday night edition. Again, Blaine Bishop at Nashville, 104.5 The Zone. Also, Mark Johnson, the play-by-play voice of the Colorado Buffaloes. Primetime, Deion Sanders out at Colorado. You could tell the excitement out there uh, talking to Mark Johnson that the fan base feels for primetime. Colorado's coming off a 1-11 season. They have been awful as of late. They certainly are trying something different. There's no question about that. We'll see what Deion Sanders can do. But, again, thank you to Mark Johnson, the radio play-by-play voice of Colorado, for joining us tonight. And my man Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com, the letter N, riseanddraft.com. I thought it was really interesting in talking to Ryan in hour number one, talking about Trevor Lawrence, talking about Travis Etienne, who he did say, had a fumbling issue early in his career at Clemson. Ryan Roberts also had some very interesting thoughts on Trayvon Walker, on Devin Lloyd. Finally, we talked a lot of Anthony Richardson with him as well. So I think if you missed that, you'll really want to go back and listen. you really enjoy that conversation. Thank you to Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com. We'll be back on a Thursday at 8 o'clock, and we'll do it all over again here on Hacker. After dark, Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday. And we will talk to you on a Thursday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then... Good night, Jacksonville.